Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy Podcast. We're really excited that you're here with us today because we are interviewing Liz Manolis. She is the Regional Director East and Southeast for Great Minds. We are so excited to hear her wisdom about successful implementation of curriculum and how she has supported it over the past several years, as well as her different roles within Great Minds and how she has come to her current role. Um, But most excited to hear about the structures that are integral to successful curriculum implementation. Um, what trends she's noticed across the country, and specific programs that Great Minds supplies so that schools and principals and leaders and uh, teachers can all be successful with curriculum rollout. So Liz, tell us a little bit about yourself. We're happy you're here. Hi, Lori. Hi, Melissa. Thanks for having me on. Hi, Liz. Of course. So I'm probably one of your oldest guests that you've had on here. Um, I come to you (laughs) after 32 years in education. Um, I started my career uh, in New Hampshire as a public school teacher, and I spent my entire career working middle school. Um, I was a special education teacher and uh, probably outlasted the average. I made it six years before I moved into the classroom. Uh, And I taught a little bit of everything, language arts, social studies, math. And then wrapped up my 30-year career as a literacy coach for my last five years. While I was a literacy coach, um, I got involved with Student Achievement Partners, which is one of my favorite support organizations out there for educational change. Um, I ended up working for them as a reviewer for their various alignment projects, basal alignment project, anthology alignment, uh, tech set project. Uh, And that led to uh, the connection with Great Minds. Um, At the time, Great Minds was looking for writers to develop their English curriculum. Uh, That was not Wit and Wisdom at the time. It was just Great Minds English. (laughs) And so I came on board to uh, write the first drafts. Um, So I was the lead writer for grade four, um, made it through that steep learning curve of writing the curriculum. We put it out there for early adopters who gave us tons of feedback, <laughs> tried it in classrooms. I went to visit. We actually had a school, little charter school in New Hampshire who was uh, testing it out for us. So I went to visit them. We took all that feedback back on the curriculum and planned to revise. And it ended up becoming a complete rewrite we Uh-oh. wrote the career in January 2016. We started over. Um, but the, the brilliant thing that we added in were the content stages and the craft stages as a framework. Mm-hmm. And that really became the differentiator for uh, wit and wisdom. That's, that's what really made the curriculum. So uh, we have this beautiful curriculum that then went um, public in 2017. Uh, and then when it when it was done, that's when I switched over to professional development. Keep in mind, the whole time this is going on, I was still working full time in New Hampshire <laughs> and I was doing this part time uh, for Great Minds. Uh, oh it was probably a little bit more than part time, um, but <laughs> it, it, like it was well worth it. <laughs> it. You know, it, it honestly it really was. But um, it, it was such hard, challenging, but rewarding work. Um, that I loved it. And I was really drawn to the work because of Great Minds Mission. Um, You know, every child is capable of greatness. And I have wholeheartedly believed that and worked every minute of my career to make that actually happen for all students. So it was like I was coming home. So I was really excited to be able to do that work with them. Um, And then I retired from my school system uh, a year ago in June. And decided to come on full-time to Great Minds. So uh, continued. I headed up professional development and then made the switch about six months ago into implementation success. So yeah. that is how I come to this work. So retired but not retired. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> round, round two, I guess. That seems to be a trend, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> Liz, I have a question for you. 
Sure. When you were visiting the schools uh, during your time writing the writing the Wit and Wisdom curriculum, and you had launched it in the schools, what about the feedback made you change course and add the content stages and the craft stages, which are so brilliantly interwoven and really provide that integrated approach and that replicable framework? What you know, for those who don't know who are listening, <laughs> what what made that happen? So what we saw in classrooms was a lot of student engagement with the text. Students loved the books. They were beautiful books. They were engaging stories. And so, so that was a definite draw for kids. The lessons were good, but it was, it was that skeleton that was really not holding everything together. So the lessons seemed... Um, dense and a lot of hard work, but it was a little challenging to see the connection from one day to the next. And so, um, you know, the Common Core State Standards have students reading multiple reads in complex grade level texts. And the standards somewhat call out the purpose, but unless a teacher is really um, intimate with the standards and really understands how one fits with the next or builds on to the next one, um, it, it can just feel like you're going through a lot of to-do steps. Mm -hmm. The framework provided that skeleton or that structure that the lessons needed so that they were coherent and not just coherent within a module and within a grade, but coherent from kindergarten all the way through eighth grade. And it was such a beautiful thing. I'll never forget being one of the writers. We had a retreat in New Orleans and Lorraine Griffith, our content architect, was rolling out this new structure to us. Mm -hmm. And all of us, the buzz in the room, it was like, <laughs> yes, this is what we were missing. So it was really exciting. And then when we went to rewrite the lessons, all of a sudden it made sense mm -hmm. because the content stages are really what anybody does when they're trying to unpack or figure out something that's complex. Yes. Yeah, and you know, I, I just read an article about, you know, right now it's like, everyone's very anti teaching these reading comprehension skills on their own by themselves, like, mm -hmm. um, you know, finding the main idea and all of those things. But um, they said the two things that really are powerful for students are asking questions about what they're reading yeah. and summarizing. And my immediate thought was just like, that's the wonder and organized stages. <laughs> like, exactly. That's it. That's what we need. To, that's what they need to do. And I was like, yeah, that makes so much sense. Exactly. And you know, the, uh, for so long, the focus has been on students mastering strategies, yep. but mm -hmm. that's not the end game. The end game is deep comprehension. <laughs> Strategies yeah, yeah. are just a way to get there. So when you focus on deeply understanding complex text and you have a process that you eventually internalize and apply it to all kinds of situations, then you're really reaching the end goal. Yeah. It's like a, a merge in the road, right? Where two lanes come together. Exactly. And going the same direction. I love that. That's yeah. great. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, man, Liz, I feel like we could talk all day about just like how how you all <laughs> developed Wit and Wisdom. <laughs> we might need to have you back. But... Well, I'm restraining myself. From... <laughs> Maybe we'll have another podcast about the history of Wit and Wisdom. That yeah, really sure, fun. sure. That, that would be a good one. But you know what? It'd be great to uh, get Lorraine on again to be able to uh, give that history way back. Lorraine was actually a board member long before she was our content architect. So she goes way back with great minds. That's oh, happening. Wow. <laughs> that is. All right, we will plan that for the future. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, but one thing, we were really excited to talk to you today because, um, you know, most, most everyone we've had on the podcast so far, um, they're experiencing wit and wisdom or any curriculum that, they've, that they're implementing at their own site, right? Whether that's at their school or even at the district level, but it's still just in one place. And what we're really excited to have you on for, Liz, is because you've actually seen this happening in different places um, around the country. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably smaller just well, you just said one school <laughs> that was piloting versus huge districts like here in Baltimore. Um, and then you've seen schools go th- or districts go through their first year, their second year, I think some probably into their third year at this point. Um, Correct. So we're just we were wondering, like, what like what have you noticed as far as trends have gone, things that are happening that are the same in these different places or different you know, it's funny that we're talking about this now because we reached the end of the school year in Baltimore and having reflected on the path that we went through in Baltimore, I could wholeheartedly say, you're not any different than everybody else. Um, Everybody goes (laughs) through the same path. And it it was, you know, I've I've been visiting um, new implementing districts. We have, um, Jackson, Mississippi coming on, Little Rock, Arkansas, um, you know, new places, biggest cities in their states. And with complete confidence, I can tell them now, this is what you're going to go through. This is how teachers are going to feel, how kids are going to feel. This is when you're going to (laughs) know you've come out on the other side um, because (laughs) the experiences are consistent. Um, So I really would love Mm -hmm. to, to talk about that because I think it's helpful for people to know that the journey you're about to take uh, is not easy, but it's worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It reminds me of, we talked to the coaches from Mad River and they said that they love listening to the podcast because it's like, they're just like, we weren't alone. We went through the same thing. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so, you know, that's probably one of the um, most important trends to understand is this is hard. And I would say the most yeah. challenging time period is going to be that first six weeks. Yep. At that point, um, teachers are going to be saying it's too hard for their kids. Kids are going to be complaining. It's too hard. I can't do this. Um, and that's when people start to question their decision. Um, but if schools persevere and get to the end of module one, that is when all kinds of magic happens um, because and it's really coming through what students are able to do. So teachers make it to the year, the end of module one, they're exhausted, they're frustrated, they're not sure <laughs> this is gonna work. And then they read their students' end of module assessments. And to have students writing with words they never knew the students had, to write about knowledge of events and ideas that they never knew were being built Um, It's just so incredibly impactful to see what students can actually do and time and again, oh my God, if I had a dollar for every teacher that told me, I was so amazed at what my students actually did because I never expected them to be able to do that. Yes, I will, I will piggyback on that as an instructional coach in Baltimore. Same thing. (laughs) They were, after that, it's that first end of module task. Yep. (laughs) That that's where, that's where it happened. Um, yeah. Why? So Liz, what do you think that six, six week marker means? Why do you think that's so such a marker of importance? Yep. That's a great question, Lori. Um, two things are involved here. Um, it is number one, a major mindset shift for all parties involved. So this is for students. It's for teachers. It's for leaders. And the mindset shift really is related to Great Minds' mission of all students are capable of greatness. And so in order to help students achieve that, you have to have high expectations for them. The -hmm. curriculum's built on that. We have grade level expectations for every single student. And that is challenging for students who are used to getting leveled work. It's challenging for teachers who are worried their students aren't going to be able to do it, see the frustration in kids' first attempts at the lessons. Um, And of course, all teachers love their students. They don't want to see them struggle unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. They don't want them overly frustrated. So, you know, we we get that. But it's how you persevere through that eventually reveals the benefits of all that perseverance through what was difficult. Yes. Yeah, Liz, I'm wondering too, At um, you talked about that mindset shift, and I'm thinking of, I would say here in Baltimore, 
we still have some work to do around that mindset. I mean, everywhere, but I think the K2 teachers specifically, mm-hmm. um, we've had a little bit more of a hard time. I don't want to say that. I just say, I think they have the toughest time with this yep. change this past year. I'm wondering if that is something you have seen in other districts as well, or is that something that is unique to our district? It is absolutely not unique. It happens in every single district, whether it's public, it's charter, it's large, it's small, uh, rural, urban, suburban, it doesn't matter. Um, Because it's not often that we think about five-year-olds able to discuss uh, inventions from 200 years ago or be able Mm -hmm. to discuss uh, continents around the world, Um, or for six-year-olds to think about um, how students get access to books. You know, it it just seems like it's beyond what they're capable of understanding. But what we've recognized is, number one, kids love it. They're so engaged by this deep knowledge. Um, (laughs) You think about um, little kids, you know, three, four-year-olds, all they do is ask questions. They want to know <laughs> why, 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 what that's is right. this? What does it mean? What does it do? Um, and so when you have a curriculum that's a knowledge building curriculum, you're providing the, the food for their intellectual development. That's what they're hungry for. So um, yeah. even K2 teachers, and, and, and again, it's another example of trust your kids. Let, let them prove to you that they need something additional as far as support before you go and change the expectations. Um, Katie Scotty, who you had on uh, a little while ago, a Baltimore grade four teacher, um, spoke about, you know, they had to prove to me first that they needed a scaffold before I gave it to them. And time and again, Mm -hmm. especially as students got into the middle and toward the end of the modules, they had built knowledge, they had built vocabulary, they had built skills and comprehension, speaking and writing. They were much more capable of doing than she had anticipated. And so over time, the students started getting used to her saying, well, go try it first. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So is there anything you think that you've seen that was a successful structure that was put into place so that teachers could do that. They could implement with fidelity. They could allow the students to try and to struggle first productively um, before they swooped in with supports. What kind of structures and maybe Great Minds has some that, um, you know, like professional development or things that you can uh, specify as offerings, but what, what, what happens? How do we get the teachers, the leaders, everybody prepared for this implementation? I, I think the best preparation that you can do for this type of change is what Jana Beth Francis, uh, she's assistant superintendent in Davis County, Kentucky. She said you have to plow the field first. And so she spent <laughs> an entire year helping her teachers understand the mindset shifts of what's going to be required in order to teach a high quality language arts curriculum. So things like why productive struggle matters for student growth, Um, understanding why knowledge, understanding why integrated standards instruction is much more meaningful for students as opposed to isolated, uh, you know, drill and kill instruction. Um, So she spent a lot of time with professional development internally with her teachers to help build those Um, understandings that would lead to the mindset shifts in expectations for teachers. The other piece I think that is essential is that teachers have to study the curriculum. You have to know intimately what it is you're asking students to do and why you're having them do it. And that only comes when teachers take the time to read and break apart the curriculum Thinking about the backwards design, you know, we used Wigan and McTie's backward design, understanding by design, to write the curriculum. So when you're trying to learn it, use the same process to unpack it. And the best way to do that is to start at the module level. So what is it? What are the goals of the module? Like what knowledge do we want students to build? 
What skills are they going to develop? What type of assessment are we going to use at the very end of the module to judge those two things? Then working backwards from there, looking at the um, assessments that build, focusing question tasks, we call them new read assessments. Uh, look how those build towards success on the end of module task, and then look at the lessons. And that is so counterintuitive to how we want to teach because the number mm -hmm. of times that when I was a classroom teacher, I got a new curriculum. And the first thing I did was dive into lesson one because I needed to know what I was doing with my kids in the next week. Yeah, but really refraining from that impulse and taking the time to look at the whole module and then work down to the lesson level really builds that comprehensive understanding for the teacher. So he or she knows where they're guiding students. Um, Wit and Wisdom has a whole bunch of preparation protocols that guide teachers through that work. So we have the module study protocol. Do you just follow the steps? It helps you unpack the module at that level. We have the focusing arc protocol, which looks at a chunk of lessons, and those culminate in a focusing question task, so a summative assessment. And then we have a lesson analysis. And so those protocols really guide teachers through that backwards design unpacking. Yeah. So Liz, I think this uh, reminds me of something that you're always saying to me, which is go slow to go mm -hmm. fast. <laughs> and I'm going to take it a step further and say go backwards. To go I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to add, I'm going to add to my, my Liz. Nolan I slogan. love it. Go backwards <laughs> to go forwards. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I wanted to, to share a quick story here. Um, Melissa and I, as you know, we, we did all of these mm -hmm. protocols and Melissa jump, jump in, Melissa. We, you know, we were tagged last year with eighth grade, um, as the experts, but yeah. we didn't, we didn't know cause we hadn't done it before. So we had to become the experts very quickly and really the only way to become the expert and really to be the best expert was to do the module study protocol before the module happened. Every single module, Melissa and I yep. did that yep. work <laughs> um, side by side. Then in between, we did the, the focusing question um, unpacking for that chunk of lessons. And then we did the what and the why for, I would say, a decent number of lessons, Melissa, right? Mm -hmm. and, yeah, <laughs> it was so helpful. Yeah. There's no other way to internalize it. Yeah, and I I had that. I was had a picture of me and you sitting next to each other <laughs> doing just this. This is, um, this is what I was thinking of. <laughs> but yeah, so we were unpacking. I remember very specifically we were doing module two um, for All Quiet on the Western Front, um, grade eight. And we were, we were looking at something in a lesson. And it was my light bulb moment when I just, you know, I, we jumped into a lesson like we shouldn't mm -hmm. have. So yep. We, yep. <laughs> we did that first and we were, we looked at something and we're just like, why would they do that here? What, you know, if I was teaching this, I would do this first and then do this in, or, you know, we wanted to switch everything around. And then when we, we paused <laughs> and we like took a step back and we really did look at like the big picture from the module study protocol and, I think we were probably in more of a focusing question protocol at that point, like looking mm -hmm. at an arc. Um, we were like, wait, <laughs> this does actually make sense the way it is. We just weren't looking at the big picture. Um, yeah. And that was because my light bulb moment of like, like you said, you know, the first place you want to go as a teacher is the right. lesson. And that's your initial instinct is like, why is this here? I don't get it. Right. And if you're not yeah. looking at that bigger picture, you can't see and it. And so that's why taking the time to go backwards before you go forwards, as Lori says, is so valuable because it actually is getting the teacher inside the head of the writers. Yes. Well, and I think the instinct and the mindset shift here, the instinct of teachers is to say, oh, I have this lesson. Great. How can I right. make it my own? And, cha and change right. it, right? By making it your own, teachers might mean change it. Um, but what we want to do is, as you said earlier, Liz, is keep the integrity of the lessons and um, make it our own by annotating the lesson to deeply understand the what and the why so that I know that I'm still meeting the learning goals and I'm still meeting the standards, but that making it my own might look like, okay, I'm going to call on one student here. This student needs this scaffold mm -hmm. after he or she proves to me that, that they need it. 
except, you know, we could go on and on, but it's, it's keeping the integrity and the fidelity of the lesson versus grabbing it and changing it, which was mine and Melissa's first instinct upon the very first Mm -hmm. day. Yes. Yes. And we (laughs) we have heard that time and again across the country in our PD sessions. So teachers will say, um, I knew my students would struggle with that text. So I decided to use a different one or I kept running out of time. So I cut all the deep dives. And then when they would go to do the summative assessments at the key points in the module, students didn't have the knowledge of the skills they needed to be successful. So the way one small piece relates to a next isn't always obvious, but because Mm -hmm. of that backwards design, the teacher writers knew where they needed to get. So what was the right place to weave in even those little pieces Mm -hmm. like, like grammar skills. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also thinking too, Liz, I, I remember distinctly too a PD session. You may have been in the room, (laughs) Um, but a principal was talking about when she was a teacher implementing a different curriculum, but she just said, Mm -hmm. you know, my first year teaching it, I really, I was just like, you know, uh, treading water. <laughs> like I was just right. just trying to keep up with it. Um, and she said, but that second year, you know, I took the summer, I paused, I was able to, I knew what I w- one needed to go back and look for. And that second year is when she, she what she said was like, she internalized it way more right. the second year. I'm wondering as we go into our second year, <laughs> um, if that is something you've seen in other districts where the second year, there is just a little more comfort and, with that internalization. Absolutely, because you now have completed an entire year. So you you have that coherent view from September to June of what instruction looks like. Um, the nice thing is, is that teachers absolutely start planning in the summer. Um, I saw a hilarious picture on Facebook of three Louisiana teachers who found some squid hats at a uh, aquarium <laughs> store and they said these are perfect for grade three module two I think it was. Um, uh, but little things like that um, so that you, you know what's expected so you can start doing the internalization and you're going to be able to go a little bit deeper in understanding um, the other piece that I find too is there's more collaboration mm. um, which really should be happening in year one. Like teachers should be planning together, but we all know when we're in survival mode that we kind of close our door and we've got to try and figure it out ourselves. Yeah. But it's so counterintuitive <laughs> yeah. to what the best way to prepare is, which is to talk about the lessons with other teachers who are teaching yeah. them. But you feel like you don't um, have time for that, right? I don't have time. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. But if you take that time, even in year one, as you're figuring out together, you feel like you have other people in the lifeboat with you. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that's a... I think that might speak to an implication for leaders providing that time for teachers to do that. Absolutely. As they're working absolutely. through. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know what, honest to God, even if the teachers are just sitting in the same room and not saying anything to each other, eventually somebody will say something <laughs> and the collaboration begins. <laughs> So even if it feels artificial, put them in a room and close the door and leaders (laughs) sit down with your teachers. Yeah, that is great advice. Yeah. So, so that was, that was one of the big ones is that teachers um, feel much more comfortable preparing to teach lessons. They understand what it means to internalize a lesson versus planning a lesson. And we purposely has, have used those uh, different words. When we think about planning, mm-hmm. teachers are hunting through the internet, trying to find something to teach. But when you have a high quality curriculum that you're teaching, it's a matter of preparing those lessons through internalization. So it's a, di- it's a different mindset for teachers. And then um, students is the, probably where we see uh, some of the greatest growth from year one to year two. In year two. Because <laughs> students will come in with their new teacher start into a module and be dying to tell them everything they know and everything they've learned because one year builds to the next. And so students start to see see those connections and their knowledge build from one year to the next. Um, But students are excited. They have internalized the instructional routines. They know the expectations. They know they have to work hard. I used to tell my own students in class, you should be going home more exhausted than me by the end of the day. Mm -hmm. 
and wit and wisdom really <laughs> lives that for kids. Um, so it, it's nice to be able yeah. to see that students are excited about learning for the sake of learning. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that idea up of the students. I mean, we're thinking about the teachers a lot, but um, I mean, there's so much that they bring from one year to the next, right? You, I, I, I saw very clearly from the beginning, like those content stages, those craft stages, like that is mm -hmm. going to carry over, which is going to be amazing to see our students bring that to the next grade level. Um, but I also like, I, I just started diving in really deeply to seventh grade, which as Lori mentioned, diving deeply into eighth grade last year. But as I was, I was mm -hmm. like, the whole time I'm sitting there thinking as module one in seventh grade talks so much about what makes a good story. And mm -hmm. then in eighth grade, they're talking about how the power of storytelling. And I was exactly. just like, I had this like, moments right. of like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like our seventh graders are going to bring <laughs> so much more to that eighth grade module did last year. And it's going to be exactly. amazing. Exactly. And just yeah. think about, you know, the level of conversation. You know, not only yeah. do they have this knowledge base now, they have the words to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, too, as a leader, the imp like I know a lot of leaders ask. So when teachers are planning right for the for the students who are who are getting all of this knowledge from the modules, do they need to be in grade level teams? And one thing that I always think about is that in Baltimore, we didn't have um, necessarily four seventh grade teachers who are teaching ELA. Yeah. My, each school might just have one. Um, and But I think that you're, you're making a great point, both of you, about how the, the topics and the texts really spiral and complement each other and the knowledge builds um, up the grade, the grade bands so that um, we can see that connection. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be in, in planning with teachers, just seventh grade teachers, just eighth grade teachers, because the strategy for planning, um, the framework for planning is the same, even though the grade level content might be different, it does complement and connect. So I think that's a great point for leaders to hear who are listening as well, that, that um, you know, teachers of different grade levels can still plan together and, and get really a lot out of it, um, even though the, the actual level different that they're teaching day to day. You're absolutely right. Um, it, it's the collaboration. Um, when teachers are discussing the ideas together, even if it's not pertinent to their grade that they're actually going to be teaching, there's still some great understandings that occur from that. Um, and, and that's why we always try mm -hmm. to encourage leaders to participate too in planning and preparation, because the more knowledge yeah. leaders have of what these expectations are for students and for teachers, the better able they are to support implementation. Yeah, that's a great point. So what are you thinking, Liz, Whit, if you could give, um, give a teacher a piece of advice or a, or a principal or a district leader, you want to go all three levels, we're in. <laughs> <laughs> we're here. What, what advice, what would be your best pieces of advice? You know, I have two and it's really the same no matter uh, who you're talking to. You know, if it's leaders, if it's teachers, it's students. <laughs> the first one is trust the process. The way wit and wisdom is designed, it is going to get students to deep learning that they've never experienced before. The lessons, the modules are, are written in such a way that really just follow them and teach them as they're written and intended and the results are going to be outstanding. But the change is hard. So you have to keep in mind that the goal is worthwhile in order to persevere through some of those challenges. Um, my other piece of advice is believe in yourself and your students in speaking to the teachers and leaders. Um, I think sometimes teachers may doubt their students because they think it's too difficult and sometimes mm -hmm. I wonder if teachers doubt themselves. And, you know, our mission at Great yeah. Minds is to help every child achieve greatness because we believe they're capable of that. But we wholeheartedly believe that teachers and leaders are capable of greatness too. And so this new team that we're standing up, this implementation success team, 
is in place to be able to help teachers and leaders understand how they achieve greatness um, as educators. Um, and so I, I think those two things, trust the process, believe in yourselves that you can do this, um, and that people are going to be amazed at, at what students are able to do. <laughs> well, we, of course, agree. Absolutely. <laughs> um, that's great advice. Yeah. I love it. And Liz, I'm thinking, too, of, um, you know, one thing that's really I've found interesting in our work with you all in, in Wisdom is that, you know, it's not like you just said, here's here here's our curriculum. Go for it. Um, I really feel like you know we we talk all the time with with our partners at Wit and Wisdom yeah. at the district, and um, that feels like it's it's different and special. Um, but I think it's because I mean even the name of what you just said, right? The implementation success team. Like you want this to succeed because you all believe in it. Um, and one of the things that we did last year, and we're continuing this year, are some walks at schools mm -hmm. that we did with your team. Um, and one of our principals at the at a PD session said it was, I, you were there, I think, Liz. Did she say it was the most painful yes. <laughs> thing that she's been through that year, but the most beneficial by far? <laughs> um, so can you talk a little bit about those the structure of those walks and and if you have any insight into her comments? I, I, I sure can. Um, <laughs> so this actually goes back to Baltimore hitting the six-week mark and the struggles um, that, that were rearing their head. Um, the first was kindergarten teachers were up in arms. They got petitions going. They went to the school board. This is too hard. Our kids can't do it. It's not appropriate. The school board started questioning whether it was appropriate. Mm -hmm. But I credit uh, Janice Lane, <laughs> you have interviewed her, Director of Teaching and Learning, Ashley Cook Plymouth, Director of Literacy, for convincing them to stay the course. Mm -hmm. um, and boy, was it worth it. But getting through, getting over that hump at six weeks was going to require something more than just our professional development series. So we came up with a program called Spotlight Schools Program, and it was specifically designed for us to use in Baltimore. And so we spent this year in Baltimore piloting the program. The reason that we came up with this program was we needed to fast track progress at some of the schools so that other schools could see success was possible. And so the way that we did that is we developed leadership coaching and we identified seven schools that we designated as spotlight schools. We went into those schools and did guided classroom observations with principals, instructional coaches, principal supervisors, any leaders who were interested, we dragged them in. Mm -hmm. And what we did through those walks is, well, before we even walked, we started together, we studied the lesson. We made sure we understood what the expectations were for instruction. We went into the classrooms, we observed, and then we came back together and debriefed what we saw compared to what was in the lesson. And that really helped a leader understand what the expectations are and why teachers might be varying from what the lesson was. Um, it helped right. leaders see where some of the challenges were. Uh, it helped leaders understand what it was they had to support teachers in for the next planning or the next staff meeting or professional development. So we, we helped guide those conversations so that leaders knew what their next steps were. Um, so when we talk about the principal who said it was one of her most painful experiences, <laughs> it, it was because we went in to observe a teacher. She had volunteered, um, one of the best teachers at the school. We sat through the entire lesson, and it was a good lesson. If you had walked in without knowing the wit and wisdom lesson, you would have said, that was an incredible lesson. She never taught wit and wisdom. Mm -hmm. So when the leaders recognized how important it was to understand what the expectation is from the written lesson, to be able to see what's going on in a classroom, um, that was a real turning moment. And so for this principal, although it was painful, 
the teacher asked to have us come in again. She said, I can do this. I want to redeem myself. And we went in the next time and it was a beautiful wit and wisdom lesson. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen that happen at a few of the spotlight schools um, because, and I'll, I'll tell you exactly why it's happening is teachers were over scaffolding. So assuming that their students couldn't do what was written in the lesson and providing other supports that they felt were building to the lesson, but the issue becomes when you're spending so much time scaffolding and doing other things, you never actually make it to the goals of the lesson. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there can be a, a misunderstanding from the teacher side of like this kind of walk like this. I've, I've heard some grumblings of like the district came in, they just were looking for me you know, to not do the wit and wisdom lesson and telling me I had to do it exactly the way it's written. Um, and I, I think what you just said is like, it's, it's not about that. It's about the understanding of the leadership level of why the wit and wisdom lessons are the way they are. And, you know, seeing that difference in how it's playing out in the classroom. That's exactly it. Because this type of instruction, um, a, a type of instruction that is integrated standards um, is difficult to go in and tease apart what exactly is happening. Um, mm -hmm. And when you're using complex grade level texts, um, <laughs> it, it can be challenging. And so that's where trust the process comes into play because when students are, say they're in a notice and wonder lesson, that's how we kick off a new text. Um, the principal walks in, students are noting what they see in the text, they're asking their own questions, but they're not getting to deep comprehension of the text yet because they're gonna spend multiple days in that text going through it at the different content stages. But if a principal sees a teacher really digging down with some text-dependent questions because they don't thoroughly understand the text yet, that's a signal to the principal that the teacher doesn't understand the purpose of the notice and wonder lesson. Right. Um, and, and so when leaders have that deep understanding of the curriculum, they're much better positioned to be able to provide professional development for their own staff. Yeah. Liz, how do we empower leaders to want to get the knowledge to be the instructional leaders in their building? They have to participate in the process of study the lesson before you go in. You should never go in cold to a wit and wisdom observation. So know the lesson, know the expectations, understand what content stage the lesson is focused on. And you know, that type of information comes from doing PD. That's all part of our wit and yeah. wisdom PD is we build your knowledge of the curriculum. Do the observation but make sure that you're also collaborating with others because an important piece of doing good leadership is being able to have shared understanding of the expectations and how you're interpreting what you see. That's a good point. I think that that's why the Spotlight School program was so powerful for Baltimore. I, I, that yeah. shared experience. I, I have to agree with you because you have to have transparent and honest and open conversations about what you're seeing and why or why not it's meeting the expectations of the lesson um, so that you can better support teachers. Um, we, we had a, a principal at one of our spotlight schools say that doing the spotlight schools classroom walks with curriculum experts was the best PD he's ever experienced. And he, yep. <laughs> really, he really felt empowered to be able to lead the change. Um, you know, that, that's, principals get so bogged down with the day-to-day -day runnings of a school that the time for becoming the curriculum expert is always put on the back burner because those other things have to take priority in order for the school to run. But at some point, if some of those day-to-day -day tasks can be transferred to somebody else, done in a different way, to free up principals to learn 
the curriculum to be the instructional leaders, that's when teachers are really going to start making progress. Yeah. And I think, too, it's also really coming back to your very early point um, about the text being really mm -hmm. engaging. I think what could easily happen if the leaders don't know the curriculum deeply is if they're going into classrooms and seeing the texts being read, which are super engaging, um, and students having great conversations about those texts, um, you know, it, and they don't, they might just think that it's going really well. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I know I've seen a few lessons that are like that, like, yes, students are reading and students are having a good conversation. But then when you look at the lesson and realize what they need to do in order to meet that task at the end, they're not getting there. Exactly. Right? So, exactly. Yeah, I think that's, that's really key. If you think about the, the content stages and the type of thinking that students are doing in each one, in a wonder in an organized lesson, um, it, it's for the most part surface level learning, surface level yeah. thinking. When you get into a reveal where you're doing a close examination of a particular text element to show what it reveals in that text, that requires some critical thinking. And then the distill lesson where you have to synthesize across the entire text, across multiple texts, think about that level of critical thinking. So the engagement is always there. And oftentimes um, students more eagerly engage at the notice and wonder in the organized lessons because those are a little bit easier. But the real mm -hmm. deep thinking and the, the major growth occurs when students are really grappling with complex ideas and applying critical thinking skills. Absolutely. Yeah, Liz, you've given us a lot <laughs> of really good information. Uh, is there anything else that um, you wanted to share with us that we haven't touched on yet? Um, I, don't, I, I don't think so. I think just one point that I'd like to make related to our leadership coaching in the spotlight schools is that mm -hmm. this is a way for principals to support teachers in achieving greatness is that we right. can't ask teachers to make such major instructional changes major changes in mindset unless we support them. And that support has to come through educated, evidence-based information, studying the research. I mean, learning how to teach a challenging curriculum requires study. Um, you know, it's almost like a college course, but we're educators. That's part of what we do. <laughs> We like to be educated. Mm -hmm. So I think the best thing that leaders can do for their teachers is build in that time for study, build in time for deep discussion and collaboration, and then build in time to reflect what worked, what didn't, what do we need to do next time in order to make it successful. Yeah, that's really good advice. I know that Lori and I talked about this on our very first um, episode was about um, fidelity to the curriculum and how easy it can be as a leader to just jump on the accountability mm -hmm. and, you know, just, just checking to make sure that they've, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and checking the boxes. But um, it's really, it's not about that if we want it to really succeed. Right. Well, and here's um, a funny piece though, Melissa, is that when leaders are curriculum experts, teacher evaluation aligns beautifully. Mm. And so if I were a teacher and I knew that my evaluator knew what I was supposed to be doing, I'm going to be able to show that evaluator how well I can teach this, as opposed to having somebody come in who really doesn't know. At that point, they're just checking boxes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad that you all are working with us as a district, and I'm sure the other districts that you work with, in order to make sure it that our leaders also become curriculum experts as much as they can. Right, right. It's, you know, this is, it's a long process. And we tell schools, leaders, teachers all the time, think about wit and wisdom implementation as a three-year process. Um, and when you yeah. give yourself that grace of being a learner um, 
and then learning from what you're doing and applying that to the next year, um, it, it really does come. It really does come. We have districts like uh, Davis, Kentucky that I talked about, Mad River, Ohio, um, many districts in uh, Louisiana headed into year two and year three. And mm-hmm. you, teachers, you, you just know, teachers feel professional, confident, competent, very skilled, and students are loving learning. So it comes, but it's not going to be an overnight success. Right. Which is very hard for us in education to be okay with. I know. And you, and you know what? It, it, it's not always us. It, it oftentimes is coming from school boards and it's coming from state legislators. Yes. But we, as the education experts, yeah. need to say, hold up. You're looking for major systemic change. <laughs> and we know how to get there. You need to give us time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Liz. It was my pleasure. Uh-huh. Yeah, it seems like we've lost Lori. Uh, I think we did. We... I'll, I'll cut this part out. <laughs> I think we did. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me, Melissa. It has been, um, yeah. you know, probably the pinnacle of my career supporting Baltimore through uh, year oh. one of implementation. Um, I have loved every minute of it and every challenge of it. And I am very excited to uh, move into year two and then take everything that we've learned in Baltimore, because I have to tell you, you all were the best partners, um, but to take what we've learned <laughs> and now use that to guide other districts around the country. Yeah, well, that's great. I mean, that's, I'm, I, I also really love wit and wisdom for that reason is like, I feel like, like we actually do talk to people from other districts and talk about what they've learned. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really nice to have that larger it, it is, it is. It's a collaborative network across the country of other wit and wisdom schools. Yeah. yeah. Well, we don't know what we would have done without you, Liz. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know what? Spread the word. Spread the word because Baltimore is doing great things. I'm actually out there tooting your horn all the time. Oh, thank you. It's hard work, but it's worth it. Right, exactly. And you know what? As my mother used to say, nothing that's worthwhile is ever easy. Yeah, 